Welcome to Educated Conjecture, an Ipsos podcast that combines what the public thinks with what the experts think. Each week, Ipsos's Mike College and Sean Simpson are joined by an informed guest to discuss a current or emerging issue. Looking ahead to the Quebec election on October the 3rd, Sebastian Delaire, SVP and Director General for Ipsos in Quebec, joins Sean and Mike to discuss the key political parties and players, including who's leading and who's lagging, as well as the issues shaping public conversation. And now, on to the episode. Hello, everyone, and welcome to uh, Educated Conjecture. I'm here with my friend and colleague and uh, co-host, Sean Simpson. How are you today, Sean? I'm good, Mike. Go Jays. Making a playoff run. <laughs> Go yeah. Jays. Excellent. Yes. Uh, we have uh, we have a homegrown or an Ipsos own guest in uh, Sebastian Delaire who's going to talk to us about uh, the impending final days of the Quebec election. But uh, maybe we'll start off with our stat of the week. Do you want me to go first, Sean? Yeah, please. You notice how I said that because I wanted to go first and said it was that very, so very, very really sort of had to know, yeah. Mike. Hey, why yeah, don't no. you go no. first today? Sure, thank you, Sean, very much. Uh, so here's my my stat of the day. I'm just gonna have one. You know, sometimes we have stat of the day and I throw out like twelve numbers just because I yeah. we have lots, but just one today. Rules. I don't follow the rules. No, thirty three percent of Canadians. This is from our September data from our our context, which looks at overall sentiment and where the world's going. But thirty three percent of Canadians say that they sometimes need to borrow money to cover their normal living expenses. There's a pretty big chunk of the population. And if you look at it and you split it out, it tends to be pretty much everybody who's not a baby boomer, right? You know, the, the, the younger you get, the more likely you are to be borrowing. It's been going on for a little while. And I, I think what we're likely seeing is creating a bit of a, a, a longer term, for lack of a better description, value-driven market or value-driven class. So, you know, uh, a, a core of the population that for, for, the, for the foreseeable future will choose their purchases based on what they can afford, not necessarily a range of other things. So it's, I think, uh, a tale, a sign of the, the times. Sean, do you yeah. want to jump in? Yeah, most definitely. And, and uh, you know, we, we obviously know people are concerned about in inflation. And uh, uh, what I would say to that is the recession isn't even here yet. Um, so <laughs> so I, every time I do a presentation or a speech and I talk about some of these contextual information, they would say, boy, you're just the bearer of good news, aren't you? So, Oops, mm-hmm. sorry. I, did, I, need to, I need to change my outlook a little bit. Although, although clearly the majority of Canadians think it's here already and are acting like it is, even if it isn't technically here. Well, that, doesn't that almost guarantee that it comes? It's a sort of yeah, self-fulfilling pretty, prophecy, per, isn't it? Pretty much, yeah. And most of them think it's going to be around for a couple of years. So, Oh, geez. Okay. Yeah, so. Um, so my stat will be um, it will be political uh, because we have a, our Quebec political commentator here. But I'm going to talk about a national stat because, of course, we've just had the election of uh, Pierre Polyev uh, as leader of the Conservative Party. So we've done a, a dip into federal voting intentions. And so my number is five. And five is the point lead that uh, Polyev and the Conservatives have over the Liberals in the national popular vote. Uh, so even without knowing him all that well, um, it's a pretty good lead for the Conservatives. Uh, the Liberals have to be a little bit nervous about that, although technically we're still three years away from an election. Um, but uh, I thought that was a kind of a striking figure to, to share with you all. Yeah, and it might tie into the uh, the number of Canadians you think we're already in, in a recession, right? So 
Yes, indeed. Well, we know that Polyev has, has been channeling the anxieties of Canadians uh, quite well, and I think that's one of the reasons why he's uh, been quite popular with the uh, with the party faithful. But yeah. without further further ado, um, let's get to our discussion with uh, Sebastian Delaire. Of course, he leads uh, Ipsos within Quebec and is one of the most astute political commentators that I've uh, had the pleasure of, uh, of working with and hearing. And in fact, Seb often sends uh, us colleagues notes on, on the situation in, in Quebec and, and and makes it all very understandable for us. So, uh, welcome to the to the show, Seb. Um, the first question I'd have for you is maybe if we just take a, a a higher level view, and and I'd like to know in your point of view what some of the the forces are that have been shaping the public discourse within Quebec here in twenty twenty two. Well, first, thank you for that glowing introduction. Uh, a lot to live up to for the next uh, few minutes. Um, it, it's a really good question because that's probably one of the things that is hardest to understand from for people who are not born and raised in Quebec and who don't know the overall uh, environment that that most voters live in on a day-to-day basis in Quebec. And, and one of the core differences is the media environment. Quebecers live in a bit of a media bubble, especially older generations of of Quebecers. But I would say mostly people above 30, 35 uh, who have been exposed for for most of their lives to a very very unique media environment where you have a much higher concentration of local media outlets uh, who who dominate the airwaves, also dominate. so, So that includes both television, radio. So, so you have some big media conglomerates who really uh, have a lot of control over what viewers and readers and auditors will will see and hear during a, a campaign and, and throughout the year politically, and, and that has big implications. And we've seen this. A good example of of this was in uh, two thousand and eight, when Stephen Harper was in great position to win a lot of seats in Quebec and made what seemed to be a very innocuous comment about rich people making comments at galas because some artists in Quebec had criticized some of the cuts that were made in culture funding. And that snowballed into a massive political uh, challenge for the conservatives in Quebec and and completely revived the Bloc Québécois campaign, which ended up winning the vast majority of seats that year. And it's just a great example of how this highly concentrated media environment plays a huge role in creating what we've seen over time, where we will see big movements in public opinion in Quebec that are unlike anything that we are seeing in other provinces very typically. Uh, that's often larger at the federal level, not as much at the provincial election level. So that that's one of the core differences. Another key difference is that the party system is not organized in the more traditional progressive versus conservative axis. So when we think of left, right, center, of course, that does have an importance in Quebec. But for decades, the the discussion was dominated by another axis, which was the yes-no axis. So whether you were in favor of Quebec independence or not, um, and and while this debate is less important in politics in Quebec, it's shrinking or its relative disappearance from the discourse has created this strange party system where we, instead of having the stable two-party system, we now have a bit of a multi-party system because 
everything kind of exploded when this distinction became less important to voters. We have voters voting on the left, right, right axis, others voting on the kind of yes, no, the old axis, others voting on the multicultural versus what they, we, we call more here the intercultural axis or uh, kind of a more conservative nationalism where it's about protecting Quebec, Quebec culture. And so all of these things are creating some of the odd scenarios from an outsider's you know, perspective when you look at Quebec. How come we have five parties in the running in a first as opposed system? That's really very strange for, for anyone looking in. So that's the that's what's behind this. You you have a lot of different push and pull situations in the province. For those who <laughs> who who aren't reading the in in the Quebec media, aren't reading the news, aren't following it, um, or basically on the outside looking in or trying to look in, can you can you back us up a little bit? Tell us who the key players are. We we have five parties running. So who are the leaders, um, and and what position are they playing? And maybe just a before we get into the horse race numbers, just a little bit of background on who the five not background, but where they stand right now. Mm-hmm. Well, for for months, and in fact throughout the pandemic, and I would even go through since 2018, the last election, uh, the the CAC, the Coalition Avenir Quebec with François Legault at the helm, who's the premier, have been way ahead in the polls. And that's been very consistent throughout. It's still the case one week for, from, from the election. And that's probably the party that people kind of know more about uh, right now. The other five parties are, you have the Quebec Liberal Party, um, Liberal Party, just like in any other provinces, Liberal Party that forms the opposition, the official opposition, but as struggle to gain a foothold in this kind of post-Quebec nationalist world where this yes-no distinction for the longest time allowed the Liberals to paint themselves as the defenders of Canadian unity against the PQ, with the PQ not being a big threat. It's been very difficult for the Liberals to gain a foothold. So the Liberal Party with leader Dominique Anglade have, have had a hard time trying to regain their old strength after having a, a pretty bad results in 2018. So they hung on to official opposition. But outside of Montreal, the party is struggling mightily, especially with French voters. It is very, very difficult. And then after that, you have Quebec Solidaire uh, in third place in terms of number of seats. But that being said, the four other parties, four opposition parties are pretty much tied in terms of popular support. Uh, after François Legault, who's around 40%, uh, the others are all in the 12 to 15% range right now. And Quebec Solidaire is the third party in terms of number of seats currently. It's a left-wing party similar to the NDP nationally, very similar colors, in fact, <laughs> when, when we look at it uh, provincially. And uh, it's a sovereigntist party, but they don't talk much about sovereignty. It's it's really much more about the environment. It's a party that is about getting the young vote, uh, replaces the Green Party to a certain extent in Quebec. The Green Party exists in the province, but it's almost non-existent. And uh, so, so that's the third party. After that, you have uh, the PQ, which historically since the 1970s has alternated in power with the Quebec Liberal Party, but recently has come uh, has faced a very difficult times, mostly because it could not find traction 
with younger generations, uh, Quebec sovereignty is more of a is something that has been um, a key driver of vote, especially among boomers, a little bit about Gen Xers, but really not much with younger generations. So it's been very hard for the PQ to maintain its strength. So the PQ has been trailing, generally speaking. And then you have the very new, it's gonna be sound strange to, to, to hear this, but the very new Quebec Conservative Party, the Quebec Conservative Party existed for a long time. It took different forms over time. Uh, it, it, in Quebec, decades ago, it used to be represented in the form of the Union Nationale with Maurice Duplessis, which was Quebec's Conservative Party in many ways. Disappeared for for a few decades, but was still there. It, it was it was still in existed, officially registered a Quebec Conservative Party. But it didn't really gain any traction until this year, uh, when Eric Duhem took the Eric Duhem took the helm last year, and made uh, very very rapid gains because of the pandemic. Really trying to galvanize opposition to lockdowns, and then we had curfews in Quebec as well. So some of the measures were were very tough. And that's really what allowed the Conservative Party in Quebec to grow extremely fast. It went from about 1% of the vote in the previous election to somewhere somewhere around 15 points right now. Maybe not enough to win one seat because the vote is so divided, but uh, clearly a force to be reckoned with for this election. And they came out of nowhere. We'll see uh, what happens on voting day, but that's clearly one of the core players now in the campaign, and they came from virtually nowhere just a year ago. Uh, a great crash course uh, introduction there, Seb. Um, at Ipsos, sometimes we, and maybe it oversimplifies it, but it seems to work. Uh, sometimes we classify elections as a change election, and sometimes mm-hmm. it's not a change election. Now, the polling here suggests that this does not have the inertia of a change election. Is is that because people are happy uh, with the premier, and and or is is it a fragmentation of the opposition that's just benefiting uh, the incumbents, or how do you see that um, that dynamic playing out? I'll be boring. I'll say both. <laughs> and uh, so, but but that that's a great question, and and the taglines of the parties can sometimes give us a real sense of what's happening, and. Quebec. So, so for the CAQ, who's right now in power with François Legault, leading in the polls, they've been leading for a long time. Their tagline is "Continuons," so continuity. Let's keep going. Uh, that's their tagline. Just one word. So, I think that says a lot about about where they think voters are. You know, where their heads at are at, is at. And so far. That seems to be sticking. This is what seems to be the story of the election. It's about continuity. Uh, And of course, it's going to be about what are we doing about cost of living? And maybe it's something we'll discuss in the next few minutes. But for the incumbent CAQ, the context right now is good because the push for change is, as you mentioned, very fragmented. It doesn't mean there's none. It doesn't mean people are very happy. But there's not a very strong desire for change overall. So voters are not really coalescing around any of the other parties. Nobody so far has been able to really generate 
any sense of, uh, you know, a, it's time for change in a larger sense. People are looking for alternatives. The discussion has been mostly about do we need a strong opposition or not? And, and that when that's the discussion, it means people pretty much accepted that we know who the winner is going to be. The question is, how big of a landslide are we going to see? And and so so some voters may be more reacting to the fact that it's okay, I, I know who's going to win, but it might be a good idea to have uh, a strong opposition nonetheless. And there's been a lot of discussion about that. So the identity of the winner has been more or less taken for granted uh, in, in all of this. I eventually want to talk about sort of policies and issues, but while we're on the focus on pure politics, what's the tone been like of the campaign? I mean, you know, in the English Canada or in federal elections, let's say, and it's not English Canada, but federal elections, we often say in Canada, we just don't want to see us devolve into a quote unquote US style election where it's nasty mm-hmm. and there's vitriol and there's less about what we're doing and more about individuals. Is it is it that or is it, has it been more respectful in talking about sort of policies and issues and going forward? It's been interesting because on the one hand, uh, despite being way ahead in the polls, Francois Legault definitely threw many wedges in the campaign, uh, tried to divide on a few things, talked a lot about how Montrealers are not the same as other Quebecers or told Montrealers at one point, don't look down on the rest of Quebec, talking mostly about the Quebec City region that where most voters want what they call the troisième lien, so a troisième lien, so a third link, which would be a tunnel under the St. Lawrence. And uh, so so he's played that card. There were some comments where he had to apologize about some comments he made on immigration, but then kind of doubled down on it a few, you know, a few days later. So clearly it wasn't completely impromptu. There, there was uh, an attempt at maybe muddying the waters on the issue. Uh, so so we, we've had some division at the same time this Sunday, because you talked about comparison with federal politics. This past Sunday, something happened that I don't think would happen in another province. You had all five leaders on the same TV show having a glass of wine. So <laughs> that doesn't scream um, of, you know, very acrimonious uh, debates and anger. Um, so so you kind of have mixed signals on this. But that being said, let's remember that the rise of the conservative, Quebec Conservative Party, has been driven by anger and resentment at, at what was happening. So it is part of the campaign, for sure. So, so it's been a bit of a mixed bag. I wouldn't say the entire campaign has been divisive. There are a lot of divisive issues during the campaign. And François Legault has played on this. Éric Duhem is obviously playing on this. But other parties, not as much. Um, you, you've seen some. We've shown. We've seen some moments of unity during the leaders' debates. Some of the opposition leaders kind of agreed with each other as they were attacking François Legault. So there were some moments of almost collaboration. I would say. So, so, so divisive issues, but more or less civil discourse. Exactly. And, it's and not even personal. for yeah, and, and even for Eric Duhem, he even though he did not want to be too rough with people who had very strong language against um other parties and early in the campaign there were some threats against some candidates, which 
obviously scared a lot of people and created some division early in the campaign. But even Eric Zouem, whose supporters are the angriest, we could say, called for calm and said he would not tolerate this type of behavior from his supporters. So, so there is a sense that among all leaders, they're trying to calm things down. Like we, we did not see, and, and Eric Zouem, even in debates, tried to avoid incendiary language and you know, he didn't try to rile up people the way he did maybe six months ago. So, so during the campaign, this was definitely, uh, it, it settled down. And I think maybe the scare early in the campaign with some threats and some uh, party offices having been defaced or smashed in created this sense of, generated the, the, the sense among leaders that it was important to remain civil and polite and not go into this. And the second debate was actually a great debate because there was not that much mudslinging. There were a few emotional moments, but generally speaking, it was a very organized, articulate debate about policy differences and idea differences. And it was refreshing in many ways. Wouldn't it be nice to export that to the rest of Canada. <laughs> I was thinking the same thing. Um, so, Seb, let's talk about some of the issues around which the campaign is is revolving. Are there, you know, three or four that uh, that come to mind as being sort of the defining issues of the campaign? And are they the same that, you know, we face in other provinces, economy, healthcare, taxation, et cetera? Is there a unique set of, of issues that, uh, that are within the, this campaign? I think it's a distinct, Very, a distinct set of issues. Distinct, yeah. Yeah, yeah distinct, yeah. <laughs> Let's talk about distinct society for a minute. Uh, <laughs> and it's been it's been very similar, to be honest. Uh, the, the main issues, uh, again, we'll talk about healthcare, healthcare access, healthcare coming out of a pandemic, the system's under strain. So that has played a big role. But just as same as the federal level or in any other province in Canada, it's it's often very hard for parties to gain a lot of traction on healthcare because voters have heard so many promises about quicker access, uh, access to, to uh, physicians for every single Quebecer or Ontarian or Albertan. So, so they've heard these promises before and it's often hard to have very differentiated uh, viewpoints on this or policies that will really make you move ahead of your opponents. So healthcare is always important, but also always very difficult to talk to. It's it's hard to read to be really believed in terms of what you will do on healthcare. But there's been a lot more discussion about privatization of of some aspects of well, not privatization, sorry, but having more private sector involvement in the public healthcare system. So no real discussion about getting rid of the public system, but should we introduce much more private uh, provision of care in the, the public system? So that's that played uh, a role. Of course, cost of living is the issue that has been most prominent. People have talked a lot about the importance of, of putting money and in, in back in people's pockets and what are the best ways to ensure that people can make ends meet and the stats that you gave at the very beginning mike uh points exactly to this is the same thing here in quebec as elsewhere in canada a lot of people are struggling to pay all their bills at the end of the month and have very difficult choices to make so it's been top of mind throughout the campaign and all parties have tried to 
you know promote different solutions uh, to 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 this problem. So so that was for sure important. Climate change has actually been more important than in in most elections where it tends to come up and then disappear. Uh, and the reason why it's been more important is because Quebec Solidaire is really pushing that issue that issue very hard. It is the the their core plank in their platform. This is what their vote relies on. It's a very young vote for Quebec Solidaire. And by talking about climate change and, and, and really focusing on this, they're trying to shore up their base and trying to be different from other parties. The PQ also has a very aggressive climate change policy that looks not unlike Quebec Solidaire's, but but Quebec Solidaire has been talking about this for many years. And it's so so it seems to really be at the core of of what drives their base to go vote. So that allowed climate change to be a bigger issue. That being said, uh, climate change has often come into direct uh, conflict with this issue of uh, cost of living and price increase. Francois Legault has, has coined the term tax orange, so orange taxes, because orange is the color of Quebec Solidaire. And also because people in Quebec often talk about the orange cones on our roads everywhere. So so conflating the two, people are angry about the orange cones that you see everywhere, uh, especially in Montreal, and orange taxes. And just to constantly remind voters that, yeah, it's good to talk about climate change, but there's a cost to this. And right now you can't afford it. That message has been very, very present in the campaign. So, so in a way, climate change has been part of the campaign more than it used to be, but it's also been a very uh, divisive issue in itself. And then at the other end, you have Eric Duhem, who, who plays a role that we haven't heard much in Quebec, who's promoting oil and gas. Uh, he's going completely at the other end. And it's a discourse that we haven't seen in Quebec in years. Uh, the parties pretty much all had the same approach, which is we focus on renewable hydro. This is what we're good at. We're trying to move to electric cars, reduce our footprint. And all of a sudden you have a new leader who says, no, 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 no. Let's focus on oil and gas and do a bit like Norway has done. Use all the money we collect from all this to pay for our other programs and systems. So so it's a completely new uh, dynamic when, when we think about climate change in the province. So I don't know what it is about Quebec and Orange because the Orange Crush started there when the NDP mm-hmm. swept federally. So so maybe uh, there's a there's a there's a color code in there that we need to, to pull <laughs> apart. Uh, I'm I'm interested in the, the what you just described on um, climate change and the push and the pull because as you know we've had these discussions amongst the three of us and, and others the whole notion of energy transition uh, where we go is come in we've spent the last two decades convincing people there is a climate change problem but we haven't worked through any of the solutions and i think we're you know what it's almost going to feel like one step back in some ways as we start to say you know what's the path and i don't think anybody doubts the need to move forward and clean things up mm-hmm. but we're actually now having some discussions and i think it's playing out in quebec and we'll see if it plays out later on and what are the alternatives ahead of us? How could how do we? There's more than one way to to slice this, and how do we go forward? So it's uh, it may be a precursor. Um, Quebec Solidaire, are they going to win seats? Yeah, well, the, right now they hold ten seats, and yeah. is this going to gain them seats? I guess is my question. Is this a winning strategy? Well, the 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 one question that is not settled because we we well unless there's a 
catastrophic change that we didn't see coming. The, 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 the CAC is going to win. So the CAQ yeah, is going to win yeah. the election. They'll form a majority. We'll see how big. Who is going to be the official opposition? Seems to be the Liberals still, but Quebec Solidaire is clearly in the running. And then throughout the campaign, Gabriel Nadeau-Dubois has tried to focus on Dominique Anglade and the Liberals, as well as François Legault, to position himself as the you know official opposition leader uh, for the future. So and and François Legault was all too happy to play along because. He likes having someone that is so different from him in Gabriel Nadeau-Dubois and Québec solidaire to really use as a mirror to say, you have to choose between us as the center-right responsible alternative or what he coins to be those tax-heavy, far-left, uh, he called them sometimes, he said they live in a fairy world, um, and the, the response from Gabriel Nadeau-Dubois to, to François Legault, and then one of the debates said, Could, will you stop with all your Halloween Halloween decoration scares to voters? <laughs> uh, so, so, so a lot of the acrimonious debates have been between those two, because they feed off each other, and they're very, very different from, from one another. Um, and, and this this is all about who's going to form official opposition. The Liberals have an edge because they have some strongholds on the island of Montreal uh, among Anglophone voters that are likely to stay theirs. They're so solidly red, and they've always been red for as long as I can remember. They're not going to change. So, so the Liberals have an edge, but for Quebec Solidaire, it will be a matter, can they win three, four, five, six more seats? If they do, they may be able to form the, office, the official opposition uh, to François Legault. So, so that's one of the core, the key stories to focus on as we look at uh, election night next week. And presumably, if they do, they have a bigger platform and potentially that's a stepping stone for them in the next election. I mean, I, I'd hate to have you forecast four mm -hmm. years down the road, but it's such a dynamic uh, system yeah, there where, you know, these parties rise and parties fall, uh, unlike uh, anything that we that we see in uh, in, in English Canada. Mm -hmm. And we'll see in talking about the future in the next election. One thing that a lot of people will focus on uh, is, is what happens with the Parti Québécois after the election. Coming into the election, all the discussion was about the death of the PQ and the end of an era and maybe the end of the sovereigntist threat. That's probably premature. And, and in fact, the PQ has run what I would call pretty efficient campaign, considering that they don't have much uh, in terms of funding, in terms of team, like they've dwindled to a very small caucus and, and coming into the election, their hope was to hold on to one seat, which were the, they were pretty pretty certain to win because it's very popular uh, MPP in, um, in Pascal Berube in Matan. But outside of this, there was very there were very little hopes from winning a lot more seats or, or retaining some of the existing ones. But the discussion has shifted during the campaign. The campaign has been fairly solid. Great performances at both debates from their leader, Paul Saint-Pierre Plamondon, who's you know an experienced lawyer. He's very young, but very articulate, is very good on camera, comfortable. So so that has changed the discussion about the future of the PQ. We'll see what happens on election night. They might still end up with one seat, probably two, because of a very weird story in the last couple of days with 
uh, a Quebec solidaire candidate um, stealing a flyer, being caught on a doorbell camera, stealing <laughs> a PQ flyer. So oh, that's geez. a very tiny, innocuous, seemingly innocuous gesture, except that that candidate was in Paul Saint-Pierre's Plamondon's writing and had to quit because of it, opening the door wide open for Paul Saint-Pierre Plamondon to win that writing. So that's huge for the PQ because it means that they, they might, instead of going from a party with possibly only one MP and no leader in, at, in the National Assembly, they could possibly have more than one MP, but not only that, their leader is likely to be in the National Assembly. So, of course, that completely changes the dynamic after the campaign because you gain visibility, you beat the odds in a way. So, yeah. so that's uh, this little story has huge implications. And doesn't declaring that the party is dead typically resurrect them? <laughs> <laughs> like it kind of has the opposite effect, right? It's never the nail in the coffin. It sort of f fans them and gets them resurgent again. Not not always, but yes, it, it can create that effect for sure. So, Sean, you're way too nice saying you don't want him to have to make a prediction four years out. But I'm going to ask you to make a prediction <laughs> next next uh, uh, ne next week out, and and not the winner. I mean, I think that that looks like it's a fait accompli. Um, range of seats for uh, Monsieur Legault. And then the follow-up question, <laughs> prediction, can he, you know, if it's the number that everybody says in that range, how long can he keep that kind of a caucus happy, right? They're not all going to find <laughs> their way into cabinet. They're not all going to be on committee. They're not all going to get what they came into politics for. Um, so just some thoughts on the challenges of uh, winning by too much in some ways. Mm -hmm. It will be interesting to see, one, what François Legault himself wants to do moving forward. Will he want to run for a third term in the future? Because whether there's a leadership race in two or three years will also go a long way in answering your question. Remember that the party is a coalition. It's a coalition that François Legault formed personally after he left the PQ to say, let's not talk about these old constitutional debates anymore. Let's not use this old yes no axis that i was referring to earlier and move to a more constructive discussion about the future of quebec and the reason why it's called coalition avenir quebec it's because it's a coalition of people who are who were either old sovereigntists or federalists and they've joined together you had some who were considered autonomists who were part of a previous party called the adq that mario dumont uh, had founded years ago and all these people have very different viewpoints over the future of quebec and especially the future relationship of quebec with canada and it will be interesting to see to what extent the party is able to maintain the the strong, uh, I would say, discipline that the party has had over uh, the past few years, especially since a few months ago, uh, the CAQ was able to recruit two-star candidates who came from the sovereigntist movement in Bernard Rainville and Caroline Saint-Hilaire, who will more, more than likely win their races uh, on, on October 3rd. And if they do, they will likely become cabinet members or they want to. And some some of the star 
cabinet members in the current government were not sovereigntists. They they came from very different uh, backgrounds. And so, so there are a lot of questions over how this will play out in years to come. And whether the PQ remains a force or not will have a big impact because if the PQ does dwindle and and walks into the sunset, to use the expression, what happens to PQ supporters? The idea of sovereignty is not going to die tomorrow. Those people will want will find a home somewhere else. And because a lot of old sovereigntist leaders, Francois Legault himself, are at the CAQ, it's not impossible that there might be a push within the CAQ to be more assertive relative to the federal. And there are already a lot of people, uh, political commentators or the PQ or people in different parties asking Francois Legault, what do you stand for? Are you in favor of sovereignty or not? Have you changed your mind? And his answer is always, well, I, we don't want to talk about this because Quebecers have moved on. But he doesn't want to say whether he would vote yes or no in, in a referendum. He was asked that in the last debate and he refused to answer. So so, so that, that discussion is not over. And, and it's going to be interesting to see where it goes. What are the odds that we have another referendum? Low, because support yeah. is very low. And I think... From a pragmatic perspective, uh, not too many people want to go into that so, discussion. With so many urgent issues on our plate, both in Canada and in Quebec, that I can't imagine people going, let's park a discussion on cost of living, inflation, climate change, immigration, et cetera, health care, to focus on that when... Um, no, and, and uh, yeah. you know, so I just uh, okay. Um, I just and, and the, the the dynamics of the referendum and and just the logistics of a referendum itself have often been more problematic for the PQ and for sovereigntist leaders than the idea of sovereignty itself. It's the yeah. idea of having another referendum that really causes a lot of problems for them. And and in recent days, we've had, it's a little bit of an anecdote, but I think it speaks to the understanding among sovereignist leaders that it's not somewhere we want to go. Uh, the PQ is supposed to publish numbers for what would be budget for a year one of an independent Quebec. It's something that has been promised for a while. It was supposed to come before the campaign. Then they said, no, it will come during the campaign. And finally they said, well, we'll postpone this because you know, we with numbers, with inflation, things are going to look different. But there's also a sense that maybe they understand that now is not the time to bring this up because it might completely break the little bit of wind that they have in their backs right now where things are improving. And what you don't want is to go back to these discussions about the mechanics of what would happen if Quebec becomes independent. Because what you might get is you might remind voters that, oh, no, we don't want to go there again. So so I I think it's strategic as much as it is real that inflation changes the numbers. I think strategically they probably realize it's not a good idea. We're in the business of uh, advising our clients here, of course, and uh, – <laughs> None of them exist in a vacuum and always have to be um, responsive to the political situation. Uh, what are the implications of what's happening in Quebec right now for, you could say, businesses in Quebec and perhaps businesses um, outside of Quebec and the rest of Canada as well? Uh, does it depend on the outcome? Or I guess since the outcome is pretty well known. Uh, mm -hmm. In some ways, it would be status quo. I mean, we know what Francois Legault and the CAQ stand for. So 
their general economic policies would not change much. Um, so it depends on what sector you operate. Obviously, if you're in the healthcare sector, it might have an impact because the CAQ has been talking about integrating maybe more private sector options, changing the way the system works. And François Legault coming from a business background uh, likes to to look at new ways to, to focus on how the, the system works from more of a kind of a business lens. Could set so, a bit of so, a precedent for other provinces, yeah. Mm-hmm. So, so that could change something. Obviously, François Legault, um, one other key element will be what happens with immigration. There's been a lot of discussion about immigration uh, in Quebec. And if the national quotas for immigration remain the same and Quebec decides to reduce the immigration quotas, Quebec already has fewer immigrants when we look at uh, on a per capita basis, Quebecers, uh, Quebec already gets fewer immigrants, uh, and, and the main reason being integration in French language and the resources ne- needed to do this. There's been a lot of discussion among different parties, and it's been a while since I've seen this, that parties have very different immigration thresholds that they wanted to work with. If François Legault wins, he wants to keep the current threshold about where it is, so it would mean that elsewhere in Canada would get a higher proportion of immigrants, and that has an impact on uh, labor shortage. And there's been a lot of discussion over what it means for Quebec to get fewer immigrants in a context of labor shortage. So, so for the rest of Canada, what it means is possibly a high, bigger share of immigrants, which has a lot of implication, many positive in terms of economic growth, filling in available jobs. But we also know that housing has been a key issue. And of course, if you get more people, uh, that that might have an impact as less housing available means prices can can also be under pressure. And we know it's been a big, big issue when we think about the increasing cost of living. So that's uh, in that sense, it could have uh, some effect, but it's, uh, you know, it's, uh, relatively speaking, I think for France, if François Legault wins, it's pretty much status quo. Uh, and, and it's not something that will have a dramatic effect on, on the relationship with other provinces or businesses. Okay, so election night, Legault's lapping the field. Um, it's just a matter of whether it's big or a really big win. If I really want to tune in and watch, what are two to three things I should be looking for that, that would be of interest? So think of it like a NASCAR race. Am I watching third and fourth? Or, you know, what what do I what should I be checking on? Well, about the future of, of Quebec's uh, party system, because it matters from in terms of what happens to the debate on Quebec sovereignty and, and whether that remains uh, a threat for uh, for Canada as a whole. You know, is the battle for Canadian unity more secure uh, moving forward? So that's a key question. So figuring out so what's going to happen with the PQ moving forward? How strong or how weak are they going to be? coming out of the election. They'll be weaker than they were before, but will they be strong enough to remain an important player in years to come? So that's clearly one of the things to, to look at. What will happen with the Quebec Liberal Party? Because that will also be very important. The Quebec Liberal Party historically has been kind of the defender of Canadian unity in Quebec. They've been the defenders of, of language minorities uh, in the province. And if they fare very poorly, 
what's going to be the impact uh, moving forward? That could be important because if you if you remove the Liberal Party from there and, and we think about the future of the co- debate on sovereignty, who will defend Canadian unity if there's no strong voice to do it within Quebec? Because other parties are either more on the autonomist side, like François Legault, don't really want to talk about independence, but at the same time don't want to reject it. Éric Duhem and the Conservative Party of Quebec, Éric Duhem used to be favorable towards sovereignty himself, and now he's saying, I'm not interested in going there because Quebecers don't want to, but maybe in the future. Uh, and then Quebec Solidaire is a sovereignist party. The PQ is a sovereignist party. So there's, if the Liberal Party doesn't really recover moving forward, who is going to defend national unity with francophone voters? There's kind of a void uh, moving forward. So that's also an important question. And uh, we have to assume that just based on issues and values, the Liberal Party will eventually find a foothold and, and will probably recover in the province. It has a long history, but uh, in the near future, there might certainly be a void uh, on that front. Thank you. Uh, do you know what, Seb? I, I think I've exhausted um, my questions, and I know you have probably have a, a a TV interview to get to because you've been all over the all over the media of late. Uh, Sean, any any final questions for our friend? No, no, but it does. I mean, it does make me reflect that politics in Quebec is a lot more nuanced than it is in English Canada. Mm-hmm. I mean, there are just more factors, more parties, more layers. Uh, even though there's less uh, media diversity, um, it, it's just uh, always a pleasure to hear uh, hear your insights on what's happening within the province, Seb. So thanks so much. Well, it's been a pleasure. Thank you very much, Seb and uh, Sean. Thank you. We'll uh, we'll talk again, everyone. Thank you for listening to this episode of Educated Conjecture. Follow us on Spotify or wherever you get your podcasts for another episode of public opinion and informed insights. If you have a topic you'd like to see covered on an upcoming episode, please send us an email at publicaffairs at ipsos.com. That's P-U-B-L-I-C-A-F-F-A-I-R-S at ipsos, I-P-S-O-S, dot com.